narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live. If you knew how much pandemonium happened before the show, it would really surprise you because on the air, it's so effortless. That's because we have experts like the amazing Noel Kassler on the show who just know how to handle everything as cool as a cucumber. How are you, Noel? I'm excellent, Zev. Nice to see you. You have a great new look. What's going on with you? You got the rid of the bear? Yeah. You've become a twink. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you gotta switch it up. Twenty twenty one is the year of the twink, you know. Absolutely, the return of the twink. It's important. Exactly. Um, wow, there's so much interesting news going on tonight. I can't even believe the shifts in power and the positions of, of Mitch McConnell and Liz Cheney. We're gonna get into that today. Um, but before I do that, I want to tease because later on in the show, Michael McKay will join us. And Michael is a is a Canadian friend, like all good Canadian people. He cares about democracy. Uh, hi, Michael. How are you? Um, I'm good. And Michael will be by later on in the show because he's going to compare a lot of what's been going on in D.C. and everywhere else in the country with the insurrection to what's happened in Ukraine. And that's all very interesting because when you compare all the all the little bits and pieces of those two uh, operations, they look very similar. And uh, it'll be an interesting part of the show. So um, that'll be coming up in about 20 minutes, but we wanted to say hi to you um, and we'll be back with you a little later on, Michael. Let's talk about Mitch McConnell suddenly deciding that impeachment is a good thing. And he's maybe right because what he's, his point is really this. If they can purge the Republican Party of Donald Trump, it might actually help the Republican Party in the future. You know, if they can join in on this impeachment drive, they can say, we didn't like him either. We impeached him as well. They can get rid of him. And then they don't have to worry about this insurrection and all these crazy people. They can go back to being small C conservatives and everything's fine. Do you think there's any legitimacy in that argument at all? And do you think he might actually do it? I think he will do it. I think, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know? mm. There's no play left. And I think Mitch realizes that. I think it was the corporate money drying up the other night. You know, I think it was getting word that people like Rick Scott wouldn't be able to fundraise anymore on behalf of the Republican Party. So I think, you know, Mitch McConnell and Liz Cheney finally saw the writing on the wall and they're left with no choice. I mean, Trump's not coming back from this politically. You know, the no. force that we all thought he was going to be, it, he's tarnished. You know, he's basically... He's he's murdered his own brand, you know, mm -hmm. along with the Capitol, you know, Hill police officer. And I think Mitch knows that unless he does something when he loses, you know, his his majority ship in, in the Senate next week or in 10 days, whenever it is, he has no play left. There won't be a single Republican sitting on any committee. So, you know, he has basically no choice but to do this. But I think it's a death knell for Donald Trump. And I'd love to be a fly on the wall of Air Force One tonight. What do you think? What, you know Donald Trump. I mean, you worked with him for many seasons of uh, the Celebrity Apprentice. You know what he's like. When he, things aren't going his way, and things are definitely not going his way today, uh, what's he like? How irrational and how crazy does he get? Oh, he gets as crazy as you've ever seen anybody get, you know, mm. and in my experience, it was over little things, you know, mm. it was like, you know, a, a broken shoelace would send that man into a rage, you know. So he, Deutsche Bank cutting him off from any future funding or banking, that would be annoying. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Be like a nuclear explosion. And, and, 
exactly. And, you know, there was great, excellent reporting the other day. He was more upset about the PGA dropping the championship that was going to be held at Bedminster than he was over the siege on the Capitol. So he was already reeling. You know, things like that hurt him in, in ways that are, that are mortal wounds because all he, his whole self-image is his business acumen and his perception of the power and wealth that he has. And that's being taken away from him. Yeah. Day by day, hour by hour. And now he knows if he lost Mitch McConnell, it's over. Well, it means he's also lost probably the Koch brothers and a whole lot of other people. So, you know, the, the question really is, and some people were raising it today, it's a bit dark, but, you know, how uh, it, there's a little bit of self-destruction, which might, might, might go along with this. As, as you've mentioned before, you know, he has these addiction issues and it's not uncommon for people in, in that situation to actually fall apart quite a bit. Um, and who knows to what extent he might do that. Are you worried about any of that? Do you think that there is, has he got support structure around? Does, does no. anyone in his family really care about him? No. And they don't mm. care about anybody in the family. I mean, you've seen Don Jr., mm. who's obviously on a relapse, you know, mm. who was like uh, abstained from substances. Let's just put it that way in the time mm. I knew them. Um, so he doesn't have any support. And that's sort of what I was worried about and what I was warning people about. You know, addiction, if it's left untreated, somebody becomes, the, you know, the addict becomes consumed with self-centeredness and rage. And they're right. capable of any kind of impulsive behavior to stave off, you know, the, the to stave off reality. <laughs> so, right. you know, for lack of a better term. So he's a man who, who can't bear the reality of what's happening around him. And he's feeding himself substances that are most likely exacerbating the rage. And there's nobody's going to save him. Nobody's going to walk in there and try to talk him down at this point. Even his kids are sort of fleeing the ship. It's almost like the whole thing, the whole insurrection, or call it what you want, uh, the other day, was that rage. He was sort of, according to reports, he was sitting in the, in the Oval Office just like loving the scenes of violence, not even wanting to really intervene, refusing oh. any requests by anybody around him to send in uh, the National Guard or anybody to take some action to save his own vice president, you know, his, his own Congress. He's sitting in there, you know, and there's a mob coming at them that he sent. And he seemed to be quite enjoying it. He was sort of savoring it, according to the New York Times reporting. That's pretty fascinating. Look, that's what I've been telling people. You know, mm. I've been telling people that for years. He enjoys that. The guy I know is a sadist. I mean, you know about the reports from Epstein's place and stuff. We don't have mm. to get into that. But he's a guy who can only really feel alive if somebody else is suffering. So mm. to know that, like... He had lost and been humiliated, but he was able to set his hordes on the people who had handed him that defeat and see them brutalized would make him feel powerful again, you know, mm. and it would it would happen in a, the sadistic way that makes him feel alive, you know, that makes him feel in control. And he's been that way since he's a kid. I mean, we know the history of the guy. He's somebody who threw rocks at the neighbor's baby. You know, he's no, not know right in the, yeah, it's Washington Post. I'm not making it up. Yeah. You know, that's who he was as a kid, and that didn't get any better. And he was able to insulate himself from repercussions from that, and he, he existed in a world where that was rewarded. You know, right. he had tough guys around at the after parties at, at Celebrity Apprentice. I've told you about that before. Mm. I mean, mm. I almost got my ass kicked by a famous biker at one of those parties for taking his picture. So mm. he's somebody who gets off on that and always had thugs to do his bidding. Keith Schiller would beat up protesters in front of Trump Tower years ago. There's so he never paid, 
never paid any consequences for anything, never needed, never needed to because he had all this protection. Yet he was still used to throwing these tantrums and, and seems to be throwing them in the Oval Office and seems to have had for the last few years. So now there's consequences potentially. That's maybe there's, there's, there's consequences from the Republican Party as well as the Democrats. I mean, if they actually do convict him, and there is time, I know people say there's no, there's no time. There is time. We all know exactly what happened. All the people there were witnesses to the event, so they know what happened. We don't have to go through a trial. They, we will, you know, we're watching it on TV. Everyone saw it. The reporting is pretty equal about it. We don't really need much of a trial. I mean, sure, you can defend yourself, try, but um, we sort of saw it, and we all saw it live, and certainly all the people in, uh, in the Senate and in the Congress and in the whole Congress itself were witnesses to the events. So if there are people who are doubting that, there must be very few of them. They must be the ideologues and sort of the uh, holies of the world. Those are the people who might stand by him. But for the most part, I can actually see two-thirds of this Senate actually voting to convict him. I agree with you 100%. And they're peeling off by the hour and mm. by the day. You know, you're right. Matt Getz and, and Jim Jordan and those kind of guys will go down with them. But the rest of them saw how imperiled they were. Yeah, they saw how little he cared about it. They saw how even today he didn't admonishment, you know, admonish them. He used the word fight 22 times when he came out and addressed the press this morning. Is this so, after he gave Jim Jordan the Medal of Freedom or I think it was just exactly. after that? Yeah. He, he gave that to him yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, it was today. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep up. But yes, you're correct. I mean, yeah. It, it's you know they will go with them to a certain point and we've seen how that you know we've seen how far down they're willing to go with donald trump but they're not going to go that they're not going to go past this point and and well, i'll say one more thing we have to impeach him for future generations you know mm. we have to make a point about how unacceptable this is for the rest of the world your next Absolutely. guest is from canada you know we mm. know what the luxembourg prime minister said today you know he's a criminal who mm. attempted a coup we have to use those terms because that, that's what happened and we have to hold the person who did that accountable or it doesn't go away 100 percent. and the best part of this whole impeachment process and, and you know nancy pelosi to her credit has brilliantly figured this out is that uh he can't run again if he's convicted by the senate there's no future in politics at all for donald trump which is exactly what he thought he was setting up for himself he thought he could actually have a political future sort of a outside militia um you know the the armed wing of the republican party call it what you will and now he can't because he can't really be part of politics at all anymore if he gets if he gets convicted now he could still set up some sort of militia but it's going to be a lot less convincing for america if two-thirds of the senate have also voted to convict him including you know a bunch of republicans so the there's a lot of positives for everybody to do this except for donald trump but maybe it's about time he faces all those consequences, even in just the last few days of his of his presidency. I agree 100 percent, Zev, and you, and you said it very eloquently, you know, and what that also does is it cuts him off at the knees, so to speak, in terms of being a kingmaker. You know, mm. what I feared most was that everybody was going to have to go down to Mar-a-Lago and sort of kiss his ring and get his blessing to run for office. You know, right. Even last last week, he was threatening to primary the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who he was mad at. You know, he was threatening to go after his enemies in the Republican Party, and he can no longer do that because they no longer need his blessing. As a matter of fact, they need to run away from any association from him to run for office again, most likely. Now, his brand is so tarnished at this point. I mean, it's, it doesn't even begin to mean what it used to mean. I mean, it used to be a luxury brand. Now it's going to be 
you know, associated with a bunch of crazy people who showed up at the at Congress trying to do an insurrection and who believe in conspiracy theories that are completely made up. I mean, are completely out of out of left field made up. He is no longer Mr. Luxury, as he'd like to to pretend he was to the rest of the world. That is going to hurt for him, presumably. It's it's going to hurt a lot. And, and it's also, you know, his brand is so damaged that even the bumper stickers have lost value. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, imagine you're that guy who has all those Trump bumper stickers, but you're somewhat moderate. You know, yeah. at least you drew the line against murdering cops and, you know, trashing Nancy Pelosi's office. You're riding down the road on Thursday morning with those things all over your pickup truck, you know. And yeah. how are your neighbors going to look at you? How are the other parents going to look at you when you drop your kids off in the school parking lot? You right. know, so it's it's not only a business thing; it's now a sociological issue. It's yeah, like there's shame I'm, involved in it. I mean, the only the only thing you can possibly say is, "Hey, I was brainwashed." So, I you know, I didn't know, I didn't know better. And that'll be the only argument yeah. that's going to be acceptable. Because it's not. Really, I mean, I do actually feel for those people who are wrapped up in this, in these brainwashing conspiracy theories that. You know, I can imagine if you don't know better that you're just getting whipped into a frenzy about stuff, you might show up and, you know, demand that the Congress, you know, install the rightful president of the United States if he believed there was a stolen election. So I'm not sure that all those crazy people are necessarily at fault here. They've been fed a diet of, of you know, crap by uh, Russia, by the, all these other different organizations. And so... They, they don't know better necessarily. Um, and when they do, they need almost therapy and some sort of intervention to help them deal with it. Absolutely. I mean, he's always sort of been a magnet for the mentally ill. And there's no shame in mental illness, but he okay. sort of exploited those, those, you know, weaknesses in people and he fed them angry lies, you know? So when you feel like you're doing the right thing, you you necessarily aren't at fault. You know, if, if I was a lawyer for somebody who was gonna be charged, maybe somebody who just stormed the Capitol and didn't do anything obviously criminal, I would be like, look, my client thought they were marching with the president. You know, he said three times in that speech, I'm going with you. We're gonna march on the Capitol right, and right I'm standing with you. I'm marching with you. He's your commander in chief. If you're that guy in that crowd, you're like, he's the president. I'm not gonna get in trouble. He's in charge. Absolutely, he some of them are military people. They were taking orders from their commander in chief. We had, um, you know, a, a, a easy way out, a, a, a come back around and do it again out. And then there was just, you know, a go out right now. Only and I replaced I replaced that with a nuclear option, which is what I think he's gone with right now. Exactly. I mean, he's literally blowing up the entire thing, the entire and operation. Then, and, and exactly, Zev. And that's the point I was always making about addiction. You know, it wasn't about he uses some substances and he's functional. It was like the guy I know is as much of an addict as anybody I've ever met. And that's what addicts do. He can't help himself but destroy the situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about this. If he had lost in November and been gracious, you know, and helped with a nice transition, Biden probably would have been inclined to kind of go easy on him. I you know, think he would so. Have been I right. think so. They were telegraphing that. I think right. the Biden administration was telegraphing, we will let you off the hook. Just play nicely. Exactly. But he can't do it. He can't seem to do it. Instead, he seems to have buried himself into a worse position than he could have ever been before. A hundred percent. He could have walked away. He could have gotten a big contract. He could have been on you know, his own version of Fox News. He could have kept all that corporate money. He still could have gotten loans from Deutsche Bank. You know, He could have had the support of the Republican establishment, which, as you said at the top of the show, he's losing and he will get impeached tomorrow. You mm. know, it's a done deal now. Well, the impeachment, yeah, for sure. I, I wonder how many, how many congressmen and 
from the Republicans are going to actually, uh, congressmen and women from the Republican side are actually going to vote in favor of impeachment. I think there could be as many as 20 people. And Kevin McCarthy is not fighting that. He's not whipping up votes right. in opposition of this. He's sort of letting it happen. And if it's a vote of conscience, which it seems to be, then they should really let the Senate have the same vote of conscience as well. The charge that the FBI seemed to be talking about a lot today were two charges, are sedition and conspiracy, which I've called seditious conspiracy on a graphic tonight. But it's not a... It's not a crime I've ever heard charged in the United States, but it must have happened somewhere in the history of our of our great republic. But he would be the ringleader of any conspiracy because when you think about it, there's always one guy in, in any of these seditious conspiracies who's running the show. And this one guy that's running the show would be Donald Trump. So I think the FBI were, were sending him a signal tonight, basically saying, listen, we've charged 170 of your people. They're all going to turn on you. Every single yeah. one of them is going to throw you under the bus. And you're going to be the guy who's carrying this thing, this, this conspiracy to you know, storm Congress and basically take hostages and kill people, yeah. whatever the intention was. I mean, you're the guy who's going to be carrying this Donald Trump. So I think the FBI was sending him a not too subtle signal saying it's time to go. I don't know I, if he's going to do any of this, but I think that's what was going on in the FBI press conference today. I think you're absolutely right. And maybe it wasn't a good idea to spend the last four years attacking the FBI. Right. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you maybe upset a couple of people exactly. along the way there. <laughs> it's so yeah, true. It's such a bad know, move. Exactly. And it's like he, he was the ringleader. He was advertising this on his Twitter feed. Last Saturday, he, had, he was retweeting ads for bus trips, you know, to buy a bus that's right, ticket. That's right. Come to D.C. in March. He was selling tickets to this thing, you know. So he, they have him dead to rights. And I love the point you just made about his people turning on him. They're going to yeah. turn on him. We saw, you know, when they were starting to get kicked off of airplanes the other day, you saw them break down and start crying right away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, when the FBI shows up at your door, I mean, you're going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. Because it's also true, and we have it all on tape. So it's very hard for right. him to deny it. I mean, it's almost yeah. a, a brilliant setup, if it were a setup. Um, I'm going to show you a couple of things that I think are really interesting. I get to ask two questions. What, what two questions do you get asked? What questions do you get asked the most about the whole Trump saga? What do people want to know from you the most? That's a good question. It usually, like, are we in danger? You know, mm. is it going to be okay? How crazy is he? And I tell people, yes, we're going to be okay, um, just because I think ultimately we will prevail as a nation, but it's danger. You know, it's what we see. What happened this last week is what I was warning about. You know, that's what I would tell people in comedy clubs. I'm like, look, I'm speaking out because the guy I know would drop a nuclear bomb to save face. You yeah, know, you've, said, you've said those words on this show before, and he might just still do it in the last few days. So, exactly. you know, you're, you're a hero for doing that. And that's, I get a similar question. I get the questions I get are, how does this end? And right. who's really behind it? Those are the two questions. Um, how, how does it end? I have no idea. And if anyone tells you they know how it ends, they're probably lying. It'd probably yeah. be okay. Like it tends, these things tend to work out okay. And it seems that the pre preponderance of the evidence around us seems to indicate that we're going to get to a point where this is going to be okay. Not right now, not for the next 10 days. These might be crisis days. But after that, everything should be fine. But how it ends, I don't know. And I can't answer the question of who's behind this. I mean, that's to me is one of the things that gets missed a lot because we like to look at ourselves in America. We like to spend a lot of time looking at our own actions and our own people and say, well, this is, this is our uh, you know, white supremacists and our QAnon people that are doing this. And we spend less time thinking about who the other people around that might be. Um, and of course, for the last 
for years, as you've been saying that he might drop a nuclear bomb, I've been saying that there's an alliance of nations around the world that are hell-bent on destroying American democracy. They've decided to, because of the leaders they have in place right now, to come at us with as much force as possible. And they are determined to be the end of American democracy. I call them the enemies of democracy. The leaders of these countries are the people we're talking about. We're not talking about every Israeli or every Saudi person, every Russian person or every Turkish person. But those four countries seem to be in some sort of weird alliance with each other um, to destroy American democracy. On the one hand, maybe that's not as serious for each of them, but the leaders of some of those countries might also want something domestically. In other words, if you're in, the, if you're in Israel, Saudi Arabia, you might want to be able to go after Iran. That's one of the reasons they supported uh, Donald Trump in the first place. The other part of the coalition is, and I've included China here with a dotted line, because there's less proof about China's involvement in this whole thing. Although I think we'll find out one day they are heavily involved um, and that using, they're using basically Russia as a proxy uh, for all the work that they, dirty work that they need to do that they don't want to be caught doing. So I do think China is part of this. We just don't have enough evidence to say that fully. The other part of what's going on is the sort of domestic people that are involved. And what I loved about the march yesterday, not the last week, not that there was anything to really love about that march was, or this insurrection or call it what you will, is that we could actually finally see all the different pieces of the domestic um, groupings that have come together to support Donald Trump from the very beginning. They sort of came out there and and masked themselves in front of everybody. So for the first time, we could see exactly who they were. Now, as it turns out, they're exactly who we suspected they would be. They're the Koch brothers who funded the entire thing last week. They were the pr- Proud Boys who are sort of this collection of militia groups. Uh, they've been doing a unbelievable job of whipping up hysteria around the, around the country. And they are, of course, set up by a Canadian, uh, Gavin McInnes, who set up that uh, Proud Boys. Then there's the QAnon believers. Now, even though that's a domestic group of people, because there's a lot of people who believe in QAnon, QAnon is actually a construct of a foreign intelligence agency in all likelihood. It's not something that was just homegrown. People just suddenly say, oh, let's create this thing. It's something that's been brainwashed into America using algorithms and various other things. So it's a bit of a foreign thing as well, but it certainly has had an incredible impact on these poor people. Then there's the, um, the, uh, the National Policy, the Council for National Policy, which is basically a Christian group by the DeVos brothers uh, and uh, and Eric Prince's family. These are very, 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 very fundamental Christians who are decidedly interested in bringing the United States back to sort of a Christian state. Then there's the neo-Nazis. And, you know, well, they are neo-Nazis. They're white supremacists. You don't need to explain who they are. And then, of course, there's the GOP. So look at this collection of groupings that showed up to storm our Congress. This is the people who support Donald Trump. These are the people. There were seven different white supremacist groups over there. It's kind of very telling, isn't it, that there's this is just the the very worst of society. Yeah, it, it's it's the very worst of society that was an asset to Donald Trump, and it was an asset to those governments that you mentioned pre- previous that had an interest in helping Donald Trump destroy and dismantle democracy. 
Mm -hmm. And if you remember, uh, this hasn't been remarked upon enough this week or at all. I haven't heard it yet. But one of the first things he did that caused some outrage was he had the Pentagon remove the classification of white supremacist groups as a barring to military service. You know, Mm. previous to 2017, if you were associated with a white nationalist movement, that would be a red flag. And most likely you wouldn't be able to join the military. You know, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. So he basically invited white supremacists into our military. But probably the use in a coup like this. He probably was suspecting one day he might need them. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.